This is Real Presence Live on the RPR Network, bringing you stories of faith and hope through local hosts and guests from across the Upper Midwest. Now, back to the show. Just past the top of the hour, on a Thursday morning in Pine Island, Minnesota, right out the window here is Father Randall Kazel's Bees. You got what one or two two hives? Two hives. They're they're buzzing about. They're working. They're doing a lot of good things. They're doing, doing good for their uh, owner. They're doing good. <laughs> well, hopefully we're doing good for our owner, the right? Lord God, here on Real Presence yes. Radio, Real Presence Live, on the RPR Network. I'm Matt Wilkham again, along with Father Randall Kazel, who's pastor here at St. Michael in Pine Island, and we've had a great couple of segments so far, Father, and uh, we've. I just want to. Uh, thanks again for staying with us on Real Presence Live. Before we head into our next segment, I just want to invite you to visit our website, realpresenceradio.com, for even more great content. There you can listen to programming from your local area, find a podcast if you missed one of the daily shows. I know I, I go back and listen to certain segments myself, especially if, if I missed. Uh, but then also you can, uh, you can also submit a prayer intention. Uh, we, we're all about that here on Real Presence Radio praying for each other. We are a family. That's why we say, you're a family of faith and hope. You can also nominate your favorite priest for donuts. Who doesn't? What? I mean, I, I guess... Donuts are good. I, I was going to say, what priest doesn't like donuts? I suppose there's maybe one or two out there that don't like donuts. But Well, I don't want to eat all 12 of them. I think they get a dozen. <laughs> you can share them. I could do a half. Right, there you, you go. want to share a donut with me. Be sure to, be sure to check it out. RealPresenceRadio.com RealPresenceRadio.com we have on the line Jason Adkins, Executive Director of Minnesota Catholic Conference, breaking down the Supreme Court's ruling on discrimination for religious organizations. And welcome back to the show, Jason Adkins. Hey, good to be with you. Good morning. And thanks again for being on the air with us. And for those who don't remember or maybe didn't hear about this, can you fill us in a little bit about what this case was and what went before the Supreme Court? Sure. Uh, in a vote of 7-2, to two, so it wasn't a simple 5-4 majority, the court held in Our Lady of Guadalupe School versus Morrissey Barrow that the ministerial exception uh, to anti-discrimination laws uh, forecloses lawsuits by two teachers at Catholic elementary schools in Southern California. The cases arose uh, because two teacher, teachers filed discrimination lawsuits uh, claiming that they were fired uh, one one case because uh, the woman had a medical condition, she had cancer. In another case, the woman said she was a victim of age discrimination. The, both schools in that case uh, claimed, however, that they were performance-related uh, uh, decisions not to renew those teacher contracts. So the question before the court uh, was, uh, can a school label these folks ministers and consider them ministers and have uh, be exempt from basically government oversight of their hiring and firing decisions. Mm-hmm. And can those teachers, can a school conduct and de- de- determine who its ministers are and treat them accordingly, making them exempt from certain laws and anti-discrimination laws? So it's a really important case. Now, the ministerial exception is protects churches and religious organizations from unreasonable governmental interference, and also recognizes that government is not good at determining who is a minister and who isn't within a particular religious organization. It requires a competency and a knowledge of religion and religious organizations that that most uh, people 
don't have, and certainly uh, government bureaucrats and attorneys don't have that as well. They don't know the nuances and niceties of every religion, nor can be expected to. So the ministerial exception, uh, as it's known, it's a doctrine of the First Amendment, is both a rule of prudence and a rule of principle, a rule of principle, and, and it protects against governmental interference, and it's a rule of prudence in the sense that government officials aren't good at determining what is religious practice and who is a minister within an organization and who isn't. Now, we're, we're, we're blessed with that balance, Jason, that the government deems itself to not be ac- uh, overall experts. And it's a way of preventing, actually, tyranny so that they, they don't interfere in areas where they don't have expertise, so admitting a lack of knowledge, but then also relying upon in trust, like, say, the church or organizations to know what they're about and why they exist and what they need to do. Um, one question we could ask you, Jason, and this, these particular ones, were these... These teachers in their in the application of the ministry exemption were they particularly teaching religion or what what sort of particular work were they doing for the schools? Do you know that? Well, you you hit on an important point because previously, and, uh, and this is why the court took the case up. There is a lack of clarity about how far the ministerial exception, um, how broadly it swept, and so there was a view that it only covered actual ministers or people who are deemed clergy. Mm-hmm. Only ministers were the ones who received, uh, could be granted or deemed ministers, and, and an institution could only claim protection in hiring and employment decisions if, in fact, those were related to ministers. What the court did in this case was clarify that the ministerial exemption is far broader than that mm-hmm. and really focuses on what the teacher or what the person does, um, not just what their title is. And that's a Im- really important point in this case because it, it reflected the fact that in religious schools, teachers, no matter what subject they're teaching, are functionally ministers because they're responsible for propagating a religious worldview. Even in the science class, um, wow. you can speak in theological terms. In the math class, uh, mathematics is the poetry of the universe. It's the way uh, in which the Creator has structured uh, the ordering of things. We know math is, tells us extraordinary things. The Fibonacci sequence, all through creation, for example. Uh-huh. So it, it's a recognition that um, it's really a function and inquiry from the judge's standpoint of what the person does more than a title. And that's an important development in this case. So it's not necessarily relevant what if the teacher is just a religion teacher. It's uh, These are fifth-grade teachers, in, in, in a sense. So you could say, well, the fifth-grade teacher is teaching all sorts of things besides yes. religion. Well, uh, the reality is is that the, the ministerial exemption has been clarified to extend to teachers uh, almost per se. Now, the next case, of course, is going to be the janitor, the lunch lady, you know, <laughs> yes, <laughs> those are right. going to be the next cases. But in this case, it was clarifying that teachers, irrespective of what they teach in religious schools, are going to be deemed ministers for the ministerial exception. So, in other words, schools will have broad latitude over employment decisions related to teachers in this context. Wow. That is an amazing development for this. Why do you think the judges went strongly in this direction, Jason? Well, I think it's the, the both of those pieces. It's um, one of principle and one of prudence, as I mentioned mm-hmm. earlier. The principle is, is that there should be broad uh, non-interference by government in the decisions of religious organizations about who they employ. It's a basic freedom of association. Uh, that's an important First Amendment principle, but it's also a pragmatic one in the sense that they don't want judges getting into the practical, in, having to work through, you know, is this person a minister, isn't a minister? It's not something that judges are necessarily equipped to do. 
And that's why I think you had a strong 7-2 to majority, not just one that fell out along ideological lines or judges who were appointed by Republicans or Democrats. I also think it's the court trying to balance um, the expansion it, uh, it it created in anti-discrimination law in the Bostick decision, which was an unfortunate decision, but the court kind of getting into the culture wars and trying to create some boundaries, expanding anti-discrimination laws for sexual orientation and gender identity, but then on the other side, creating broad uh, exemptions for religious entities who may have objections to some of those developments. So it's the court also playing a little politics. Let's let's uh, let the truth be told. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask you just now, Jason, uh, how this decision affects that that Bostock decision earlier in June when the court ruled that employers cannot fire workers because of their sexual orientation or self-determined gender identity. Uh, and, and, and so how, does, the, does this decision, Our Lady of Guadalupe School versus Morrissey Baru, protect the church from that? Uh, well, there are. It should be known that was a case about employment law and Title VII. There are religious freedom protections in those statutes, but this is a helpful clarification in the Guadalupe case because basically it says that you know if you have teacher Joe and he comes uh, leaves the, the school year as Joe and then comes back as Jane in the fall, um, the the religious school or the Catholic school would have uh, a broad authority to terminate uh, that employment uh, relationship right there. So this is a certainly helpful a clarification. Uh, on that piece, if a, a teacher entered into a same-sex union, uh, exactly. That, so that's that's exactly right. The question, like I mentioned earlier, is the next case. Well, what about the lunch lady? Uh, what if the lunch lady became a lunch man or vice versa? Then what do you do? Is that person a minister? Certainly they have lots of contact with students. Um, but again, it's uh, going to be an inquiry as to whether what that person does and how they behave. You can't just slap a label on the lunch lady and call her a minister and then expect there will be non-judicial interference in that decision. So it's going to be an interesting uh, uh, dynamic to watch. But certainly, as you alluded to, Matt, this, this Guadalupe case is helpful in that regard. Yeah, thank you, Jason. Very helpful to help clarify these things for us and our listeners. Jason, are there other than what you've mentioned already, do you see any other benefits that are going to come out of this maybe in the future? Can you foresee anything uh, that maybe hasn't shaken out now as part of this decision, but will potentially in the next several years? Well, when as these religious freedom cases and these issues come to the forefront, um, the silver lining, I think, for Catholic institutions and Catholic identity is that it requires us to clarify who we are and what we believe so that we're, you know, both truthful in our advertising. There are clear sets of expectations for employees who come in uh, working for the church and church institutions. If you're going to claim religious exemptions, then it has to be clear that these are, in fact, bona fide religious beliefs. Mm -hmm. And so this has already started a process. Um, by which Catholic institutions are clarifying to the broader community what we believe and what we uphold, and that's the truth of the gospel. So in Minnesota, for example, we have the guiding principles uh, for sexual identity in Catholic education, and mm-hmm. these were promulgated by the bishops of Minnesota to clarify that in Catholic educational settings, uh, to, to put it simply, uh, boys will be treated in discri- you know, as boys and not girls, and we're going to uphold you know, basic human anthropology, that uh, men are men and not women, and vice versa, um, as uh, countercultural and revolutionary as that might seem to some. So I think that's the silver lining in the implication of a lot of these religious freedom cases, is that it, it forces us to be clear about who we are and what our identity is if we want to claim legal exemption from uh, anti-discrimination laws and other such things. Hmm. Excellent. 
We're speaking with Jason Adkins this morning on Real Presence Live. I'm Matt Wilkham along with Father Randall Kazel, and we're talking about the decision of the Supreme Court just last month uh, to, uh, to uh, discrimination for religious organizations, uh, the ruling that provided for the church to basically to be able to decide, affirm that once again, who is a minister and who is not. And uh, Jason, we're going to have to stop down here for just a second. Uh, but on the other side, we're going we're gonna to be hearing more from Jason Adkins, who is Executive Director of the Minnesota Catholic Conference. And you're listening to Real Presence Live on the RPR Network. Stay tuned. Stay with us. There's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network. Rose Management is a family-owned business that believes in good morals, doing the right thing, and treating our residents as family. Rose Management provides affordable housing to complexes throughout North Dakota and Minnesota. All Rose Management properties and our maintenance staff are in a centralized location in their cities. If you have any questions, you can call 701-237-6840 or online at rosemanagement.net. Again, that number is 701-237-6840. How can you know for sure that your loved one is in heaven? Well, the short answer is you can't. I'm Father Chris Alar, but you can have confident hope that they are saved because no matter when or how they died, even by suicide, you can pray and make sacrifices now to still help them accept God's final offer of grace. Jesus told St. Faustina, call upon my mercy on behalf of sinners. I desire their salvation. When you pray with faith on behalf of some sinner, I will give him the grace of conversion. Wow, if you desire heaven for someone, God desires it even more. So do your part to help them get there. Please visit suicidemanhope.com so I can personally pray for anyone you've lost and to get our book, After Suicide, There's Hope for Them and You, which helps with any kind of suffering or loss, not just suicide. I promise it will help. The world is changing fast and needs problem solvers and critical thinkers. Right here in your backyard, Not Marty believes every student has the potential to serve the world and make a difference. We will help you obtain a degree that prepares you for success by exploring your talents and passion. Our community goes above and beyond to help each student feel at home, surrounded by love and support. We can't wait for you to see what's possible. We hope the future brings you here, close to home at mountmarty.edu. You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. 17 minutes past the hour. Real Presence Live. Matt Wilkham, along with Father Randall Kazel. We're speaking this morning with Jason Adkins, who is executive director of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, on a Supreme Court decision that uh, recently came down last month. Uh, it was uh, about discrimination regarding religious organizations. Uh, first of all, Jason Adkins, welcome back to the show. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me on today. Yep. Jason, thanks for being with us. Father Kazel here. Uh, thanks for your words here just before the break. And I want to circle back and go maybe to the other direction regarding possible cons or challenges that 
uh, Catholic schools or religious organizations may face uh, coming ahead that maybe we weren't facing before the Supreme Court decision? Do you have any uh, insight or any reflection on possible cons of from this decision? Well, there, these a lot of the cases that came down this session from the court uh, were helped us breathe a sigh of relief that uh, in our institutions we're able to preach the truth of the gospel and live our mission. But there, in politics, uh, on this side of the Jordan, there are no ultimate victories and there are no ultimate defeats. So it's it's incumbent upon us to be vigilant uh, to protect religious liberty, but at the same time recognize that the protection of religious liberty is necessary but not sufficient. Uh, because of the way in which religious liberty is increasingly casted is that it's basically a wall behind which organizations that have benighted, bigoted views can hide. And so there's a major assault and threat on religious liberty, and it's anyone's guess as to how long these protections will last. Ultimately, we have to win at the level of principle, not just try to carve out exceptions. And what I mean by that is that we have to speak the truth about the human person and help that prevail in law and in our hearts and in the culture. And so there's no substitute for um, preaching the truth, preaching it boldly, and winning in a winsome way those important arguments about who we are as persons and why we view, uh, we, we have the views and perspectives that we do about all kinds of things, marriage, the family, the right to life, uh, all these important questions on which there are continued and, and seemingly endless assaults in the public square today. Well said. Thank you, Jason. Thank you. These are great principles to remember also as we approach the general election, as we all know is coming up in November. Uh, Jason Adkins, what's the Minnesota Catholic Conference doing to help ca- uh, Catholics and others prepare their consciences, prepare uh, to, to, to engage in this political process once again? Well, you've hit it right on the head, Matt. Forming Consciences for Faithful Citizenship. That's the name of the statement that the U.S. bishops uh, put out every four years to provide Catholics with relevant principles and considerations when making voting choices. And it's a busy fall for the Minnesota Catholic Conference. We're putting together a lot of great programming in that spirit of forming our conscience. Uh, I would mention, first of all, our September 9th event on confronting racism in our culture. Obviously, Minnesota has been right at the epicenter of that after the death of George Floyd. And what does that mean? And Catholics are considering anew what it means to confront racism, whether in its individual form or in uh, in its interpersonal form or in the systemic form. So we have uh, Bishop Shelton Fobb, who directs the U.S. Bishop's uh, anti-racism efforts to the Committee on Ad Hoc Committee on Racism. He's going to be giving our keynote. And then we have three great speakers, Damon Owens, who many people might know as a really prominent marriage and family speaker. We have a former executive of DreamWorks, uh, and then we have a great uh, Catholic laywoman and leader from St. Peter Claver in St. Paul. All going to be on a panel to help us with our bishops explore what that means to confront racism today. So that's September 9th from 10 to noon. More information and register. That's going to be a Zoom event. Um, it can be found at our website, mncatholic.org. Again, that's mncatholic.org. Excellent. mncatholic.org is the website. Great resources for the upcoming election. Also, that Zoom webinar on confronting racism. Uh, a fantastic document, I think, from the USCCB, Open Wide Our Hearts, the Catholic Church Confronts uh, Racism. And that's going to be Wednesday, September 9th, at Zoom webinar, 10 a.m. to noon. Uh, wouldn't want to miss that. So, uh, Jason, anything else going on at the Minnesota Catholic Conference that we should be aware of? We have created a toolkit for parishes to run 
legislative town halls at the parish or over Zoom or some other format to help inform voters about the views of their state legislative candidates. There's going to be a lot of attention being paid to the presidential election. There's going to be a lot of attention paid to Senate races, and you'll hear see ads on TV about congressional races. But when I go out and give talks, most people cannot name their state House member and their state mm-hmm. senator. So it's important that we begin that work of introducing our legislators and the candidates to the Catholic community in their district that they're trying to represent to bring to them issues of Catholic concern and then uh, for the people in the pew to hear what those legislative candidates think about those issues. So I think this is a really great initiative. We've put together all the tools that a parish needs, a uh, how-to toolkit. Again, that can be found at mncatholic.org slash hall. So it's, we've done all the legwork. All you need to do is make the calls and the invites and create a space for this conversation to happen. It's certainly something that, uh, uh, you know, we'll get, we're trying to promote it with parishes, and we'll talk to parishes, and they'll say, well, that's political. We don't do that. Well, no, this is something that's, A, perfectly permissible from a legal standpoint for a parish to do, nonpartisan voter education. And at the same time, it's vitally important that if we want people making good laws, then those people need to be in relationship with us, and they need to know what good laws are. So if we're not in relationship with our state legislators, how can we expect that they're going to make the right laws or have the right perspective on important issues? And so the Catholic community needs to be working with and engage with our state elected officials, and this is just another opportunity besides Catholics at the Capitol, which will come back in April 2021. It's just another opportunity for us to be doing that at the local level and get our heads a little bit out of this presidential election. It's as important as it is. We also need to be looking at those down-ballot races. So, again, Minnesota Catholic Conference candidate forums or candidate town halls, more information at mncatholic.org slash townhall. Encourage your pastor, uh, encourage your parish to host one of these important events. Yeah, Jason, just from my own experience, I received the letters uh, that you sent out from the Minnesota Catholic Conference, and I passed them out to a few parishioners, asking them to think about these things, and we're possibly looking at having somebody in the parish. I know we had some parishioners already hold a a town hall at their farm, so I I was intrigued by that, that that was happening, and so a, a little bit of the grassroots of those things are happening around in my area here in the southern part of the Archdiocese, but I really appreciate uh, your efforts to get information out and to give a framework or a reference of how some of these activities could be brought about. Um, one question to throw back at you, Jason. Are there any other of interest things happening in Minnesota or here in the upper Midwest where Catholics should be aware of that could be coming up here in the future? Well, we've got two important global days of, of concern on September 1st and September 27th that I think are part of that conscience formation process. And I want to say a little bit about the resources that we try to provide for those. We're a little office, but we try to uh, provide resources as much as we can and hope the people in the pew and the folks in the parishes take them up and run with them. First is September 1st, World Day of Care for Creation. Um, It was a, a world observance that Pope Francis instituted five years ago around the time he issued his encyclical Laudato Si, which is about a lot more than climate change. It's really about right relationships, uh, right relationships with the Creator, right relationships between persons, and now especially right relationships with the creation as well. And so what we've done at Minnesota Catholic Conference is distill that 175-page encyclical into an 18-page document and then a companion study guide. And that's a six-week study guide that can be taken up by parishes, which really is a representation of Catholic social teaching, the natural law, 
and its application into our local Minnesota context. So we think this resource we've created, Minnesota, Our Common Home, is an outstanding and uh, helpful way to think about uh, Catholic social teaching, which is really just a theology of right relationship. And uh, the opportunity to rediscover Catholic social teaching in a very polarized political time when a lot of people are getting their news and opinions from the, the TV or the radio, grounding ourselves in the heart and mind of the Church is really crucial and very, very important. So I just want to mention that first, uh, the document, Minnesota, Our Common Home, which again, you can find at our website, mncatholic.org slash home. Uh, that's a great point you make, Jason. Uh, Jason Adkins with us from the Minnesota Catholic Conference about how uh, really our faith is all about relationship. It's not really about rules. If we're in right relationship with our God, then we're in the right relationship with each other, and then our actions will follow. And that's just uh, a, a great way that Minnesota Catholic or Minnesota, our common home, a wonderful resource to help people discern. I think there's an examine that comes along with it. Uh, that helps people to discern how am I doing in all these different areas. I know there's been some criticism of it from certain circles, but I think some people just maybe aren't used to seeing a document like this uh, so attractively packaged. And, and I have to give you credit for it. It's it's beautifully done. Well, it has to be appealing. We want people to pick it off the shelves and actually read it. And, you know, people have concerns about the environmentalist movement and secular environmentalism, and these concerns are certainly legitimate. But that's why the Catholic Church has to jump into this conversation, because there can be no authentic protection of creation. And I mean creation, uh, broadly speaking, the earth, but also uh, attention to our bodies. And the document deals with gender ideology, for example, and what we're doing to our bodies these days with hormones and mutilation. So it's all of protecting all of creation, and there can be no authentic respect for creation without ultimately, a right relationship with the Creator. Certainly, the yeah. environment, secular environmentalists want to do the right thing in many cases, but uh, sometimes that comes with harmful things like population control or some of these other questions. That's why, ultimately, an authentic respect for the human and natural ecologies requires a relationship with the Creator who helps us see, rightly discern, and rightly act in our relationship with the creation. Yeah, and, I, and really, Jason, I you're hitting it right on regarding right relationship with God, right relationship then from that goes out into the world and with one another. That Even you go back to Our Lady of Fatima, uh, that was one of the main points she made in 1917. Mankind was establishing uh, a society without God. They were not in right relationship. And she pointed that there will be peace at the end of World War I, but then if mankind doesn't turn back to God, in other words, get back in right relationship with him, there will be another and worse conflict. So the, this this emphasis on a right relationship, you know, the church needs to be in the midst of that. So you're you're just right on. And what about that second activity? There's another one you mentioned at the end of September. Yep, September 27th is World Day of Migration, and historically in Minnesota, for the last 12 years, we've celebrated Immigration Sunday on Epiphany. We're moving that observance to align with the global observance. So Immigration Sunday, Minnesota, and World Day of Migration. Uh, and Care for Migrants, September 27th. And again, we have resources for parish uh, parishes on that important issue. This is immigration and migration. These are vexing questions that have uh, certainly uh, challenged us in our public discourse and our and in our political life and what to do with uh, how, how to address the challenges faced by the over 11 million undocumented people in our midst. How do we respond to the needs and the, uh, the desires of migrants escaping uh, war and famine and all sorts of other things? What is our, the proper response as Christians 
to the challenge of migration and refugees and undocumented immigrants in our midst. A really important day, especially ahead of an election where immigration is going to be a big issue. That's September 27th, Immigration Sunday, Minnesota. And again, more information can be found at mncatholic.org. Excellent. Jason Adkins from the Minnesota Catholic Conference. Great stuff. Thanks so much. You can hear Jason on Tuesday nights on Real Presence Radio at 8 p.m. Central, the the uh, Bridge Builder podcast. Fantastic show. Thanks so much, Jason, again, for being with us on Real Presence Live. Good to be with you, friends. God bless your day. Thank you, Jason. Up next, what will reopening schools look like in the Archdiocese of St. Paul in Minneapolis? Stay tuned to find out next on Real Presence Live.